misses. Brock isn't dead. It's just sleuthing. With your host, Willie Whitebread, and Mark Audio Slave Stewart. Hey, welcome back, motherfuckers, to another episode of Rock Isn't Dead. You've gotten me the Willie Whitebread, the usual extra gray fox, Mark the Audio Slave, and we have a special guest. Based on this week's episode, which is the blues, we called in an expert, Delta Drew Pearson. What up? Say hello. Say hello to your hey, many, Drew. many fans, hello. Delta Drew. <laughs> so that's, that's Delta Drew. So, uh, obviously, we picked the blues for this subject or for this week's subject, because it is the backbone of all rock and roll, yes? Absolutely. It is the backbone of all rap music, yes? Hip-hop? Absolutely. R&B? Absolutely. It's the backbone of everything. 12-bar blues. That's what started it all. Did. So, where did it originate? Let's say New Orleans, actually. New Orleans? Absolutely. 1870s? With the W.C. Handy. That's it. W.C. And who was W.C. Handy? He is a uh, jazz musician. Yep. Uh, predominantly played, uh, I think, the trumpet. Yep. And uh, basically started from there, and he started the uh, 12-bar blues. Yep. He was a very, very popular uh, composer. Absolutely. Yep. But, it, but it all originated in the southern plantations during the slave era. That's where we're talking about the original blues origination well that's where i'm talking about where where blues derived like, from what music they were listening to like you know how each they each, weren't they were just singing stuff in the fields and stuff right but it all derived they heard music they've heard music before they didn't hear like a music maybe, coming from a house like, and go maybe like swing music well that's what i mean that's probably what was going on back then. well so swing and ragtime that yeah they were doing the Charleston. But well, back then, it, you know, post W.C. Handy, this this composer that kind of cultivated the 12-bar blues progression, the, the predominant sound back then was, I would say, gospel, bluegrass, and country music. Well, yeah. you can't forget yeah. about classical music as well. And classical music, obviously. Yeah. that as well. Right, and that was still very predominant because we're talking the 1870s here yeah. and the early, early I mean, 1900s. They're listening out of the... Uh, Sousaphones. Yeah, the phonograph. Victrolas. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Exactly. I like that shit. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. We're talking about like early 1900s elevator music and shit. So, but you made up, you you made a good point there. Um, The the actual smoothing of the blues sound was made from plantations and from african-american work song, workers called work songs work songs african chanting right field holla right field holla um spiritualism african yeah. spiritualism yep and yeah. it was funny too because uh, on a couple of documentaries that i that i watched about the blues they would also use it as a means of communication like down the field and things like that. Like they would say, Oh, the boss is coming, things like that. And it would, it would go all the way down the field. And that was like a means of did communication. Look, where, where, where'd you all that documentary documentary told you that? Yes. Documentary. Okay. I trust all the documentaries that was I watch. Facebook documentary. No, no, Me too. Me I don't. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't put any faith into, <laughs> into Facebook documentaries right? and none of their fucking bull. But anyway, yeah. so it was like, I don't know for me, Whenever I'm out there, you know, doing yard work or something like that, I have to be listening to music. Or I'm out doing like a monotonous task that I don't necessarily <laughs> like to do. So I'm not gonna say well, you're out there singing the. the no, blues. I'm not out there singing swing low and shit. But like I'm, I'm out there listening to yeah. music. But you yeah. need something to fill your time, and they didn't have much. Yeah, they didn't have anything. Obviously, they didn't obviously have CD they players. were getting screwed. Right, they didn't Nothing have right. anything, so they come. They cultivated their own, uh, their own way of communication. Their only way of passing the time yeah and, and and the thing that i've always i've always really appreciated about the blues in in contradiction to other music is the blues tells a story about the person you can learn a lot about the person right about the lyrics they're saying you know Absolutely. it's not fuck bitches get money or a 16 minute guitar solo from Jimi hendrix they're telling you a story there's actually yeah. a song out there called uh, matchbox blues mm-hmm. and matchbox blues is basically letting you know that they're packing all their stuff in the backpack that they got whatever they have satchel i don't know but they're packing whatever they have and they're leaving that's the matchbox blues matchbox blues because it's small yeah. it's all they got yeah yeah and it's, that's what's up yep and that would they that's that's what they would talk about you know like uh like uh, Marnie Smith, she would talk about these things, like these uh, different, like 
whorehouses that they had back then because that was back in the really juke shitty juke joints and uh, I forget what the what the actual name that they used to call these um, these whorehouses back then uh, because th- this was in the dark time of America this was in the the weird oh, yeah. post Civil War kind of odd time that we had in America kind of the dark ages as I would like to call it is bad time um, and so they didn't have anything, so they had to find a way and a place to play their music and cultivate their music, which the juke joints. Yep. You know, because we were very, the, the country was segregated at that time, and you couldn't, you know, an African-American couldn't just walk into a bar. Hard telling what went on in those places. Very hard to you say. Do you know where the term blues came from? I do not. Well, I, there's, I, there's, I know what it means, different but not where, where it came, it came from. from. But one of the main theories that I found was um, it came from, was called the Blue Devils. The Blue Devils, meaning melancholy and sadness. Yeah, that was a George Coleman was the first one to use that in his in his act called the Blue Devils in 1798. Yeah, and then the phrase also derived from Britain in the 1600s. Um, it was a term referred to intense, um, severe alcohol withdrawal symptoms. That's oh wow, the blues, you know. Yeah, because that, back then, that that's what they used for everything was alcohol. Right. So, if, so if you were withdrawn from alcohol, he's like, "Oh man, he's got he's he's got the blues." You yeah. Know? I always talk about like how rad would it have been to be a doctor back then? It would have been so fucking cool because they used to prescribe shit like coke and morphine just on the fly Doctor. and stuff. They're like, "Wow, it seems you have ghosts in your blood." Remedies. We can, let's do coke about it. Remedy. Yeah. <laughs> let's do morphine <laughs> about that for a while and see how that works. And then you get a case of the blues when you can't oh, fucking yeah. get out of bed in the morning. Now all of a sudden you feel better. You know, that's what the blues are all about. Right. And so, like we said, uh, and we talked a little bit about Robert Johnson and and a little bit how he came to you know, uh, fruition, but that's, that's a little bit later. Well, not much later, not really, but they just the sheer like necessity is the mother of invention aspect to the blues. Cause these guys and gals were picking guitars made by, you know, punching nails into the side of their houses and wiring up strict, you know, chicken wire and running a bottle, making it it. anything they can get their hands on a mouth harp, a harmonica. They were doing anything they could. Yeah, yeah, washed up bass. still had the voice like Count Bessie, you know? Count yeah. Bessie was still jazz, but still going in the blues, you know? Yeah. Right. Telling a story. Telling a story. I saw, an, and another thing, how they made their flutes back then. They would take a long, like, metal rod and heat it up in a fire and take a piece of bamboo and run it in there until it was hollow and then put it back in the fire and make their flute holes. Fucking badass. Isn't that <laughs> cool as shit? Like, you know... Um, That's uh, how I would make a flute. Yeah. The <laughs> tune in Gangs in New York. That oh, was yeah. from an old, an old Delta, like a new uh, Louisiana blues band that actually wrote like that what, song. 1860 something. Yeah, like that? 1860 or yeah. something like that. Fucking cool as shit, Absolutely. and it all sounds great. Oh, brother, where art thou? Was yeah, that another one. Well, that was that was kind of hinted on the story of Robert Johnson, that, and that if if you guys picked, I mean, I'm sure you guys. And you're still up talking there. about running the strings off the side of the house, yeah, a cigar box and things like that. Yeah, you know? I mean, they just did whatever. They had to. Yeah, had to. They had nothing. Couldn't afford anything like they that. Couldn't afford anything. Even and, if you they know? had a chance to, somebody would probably take it away from them. Exactly, and and I did do a little bit of digging into that, and they they literally had no money. No. These these musicians, they had nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. That's and what the blues are for. That's what the blues are for. Make and that's what it's better. Yeah. It tells a story. It tells a story about how you're down, mm-hmm. how you're working, how you're, you know, you can't get ahead. And, and that's, that's the whole emotional response to the music. And I think that that cultivates and progresses the power of blues in and of itself. That's why I love it so mm-hmm. much. Cause it makes me feel like I'm not alone. Right. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty Somebody of it. Somebody else feels the pain that I understand. Right. Exactly. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, and that's what music's for. And it's very difficult to find uh, music nowadays that has an emotional touch to it, you know, because it's all just mindless bullshit. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's mindless shit. Look at even our favorite guys like Tool, their new album. Come on, dude. Fantastic album. Get out of town. That's ridiculous. What did you love about it? The same guitar riffs you've been hearing for 30 years? Uh, A song called Invincible. It's about... uh, That is a good song. That's the only good song I liked. That is a good song. That's the only one I like, though, in the whole album. But they did have a lot of repetitive guitar riffs. Like, they had one from The Pot. That I, and I was disagree like, with. I was like, what? oh, what? No. And no nope. vocal breakdowns. No Maynard vocal breakdowns. Absolutely. And no singles. Nope. I was like, this is weird. And maybe it's just like a little bit of being afraid of what I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, you know, maybe I just this is hitting to a different market that I don't get. But maybe that's how you learn a little more every time. And everybody's you know? different, I guess, because yeah. we thought Corn was a kick-ass album. He didn't like it. You didn't like their new album, The Nothing. Nope. 
Wow. I know. I know. That's wild. What about Slipknot's new record? Did nope. you like them? What? Nope. Oh, that was like their magnus opus, man. Nope. That was a great album. Nope. Nope. It's to each their own, to but that's the beauty of music. Absolutely. It speaks to different people in different languages. You gotta love it. But anyway, back to the blues. Yep. Delta Drew, let's talk let's talk a little bit about the early. What do you what do you what do you what's what was your favorite portion of the early cultivation of the blues? Charlie Patton, uh, Robert Johnson, absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, just the simplicity of it. John Lee Hooker, even mm-hmm. listen to John Lee Hooker's first few albums, just the the tap, the tap, the tap, you know? Yeah. And then he just starts stringing it. And it's, that's, that's the beauty of it. You can hear the old school tempo, the style about it. It's because beautiful. a lot of them didn't have any backup bands or anything. Nothing. It was just them and a guitar. They weren't allowed to have them. Nope. Oh. They weren't allowed to have backup bands. And Nothing. nobody would record them. With, nobody would give them anything. Well, yeah. Until, until when? And probably the 40s, 50s, yeah. when, they, so when it started picking up tempo with like the Chicago blues scene and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Muddy Waters and like Howlin' Wolf and stuff used to go over to Chicago to record and shit. Um, that's when blues, and that was like pre 50s, before the pre uh, British blues takeoff. Um, and that's when it really got put on the map. But another thing that fascinates me about the blues, because obviously it started rising to, to notice, it started getting noticed in the 20s, you know, the early 20s, you know. That it did. And the sheer mystery behind it, because there's so little other than word of mouth and documentaries and, you know, what what you can read here and there. But there's because they weren't yeah. getting recorded. Yeah, because nope. the, the first, the first uh, blues sheet music was I Got the Blues published in 1908. Yep. But then the recording was the Dallas Blues in 1912. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, Antonio Maggio. Who did the, yeah. Right. Yep. And so, but and then WC Handy the same year with the Memphis Blues. Yep. That was, yep. That's, that's where it came from. And see, but when the Delta Blues stuff was coming along, the Deep South Blues movement, there wasn't any recognition for it. Cause, you know, obviously there wasn't Facebook or anything like there wasn't. And these, these folks weren't getting any recognition. Nope. Yeah. And it was considered the devil's music because gospel was still very predominant during that time. So it was looked down upon. It was looked down on, and they, and they had to do it in secrets, which which is where the juke joints came in. Yeah, Absolutely. they weren't going to walk into a, a glass recording studio and be able to record their shit. They'd get get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? Yep. So there's so little. That's when they had people like Elvis Presley sing their songs for them to get it to get it out there. Yeah, and then they're like, "Wow, this shit's great, dude. Absolutely. We've been doing this for fucking forty years." Absolutely, yeah. I love it. Well, uh, BB <laughs> King cred- credits uh, Frank Sinatra for, for for getting a lot of blues artists, you know, absolutely their starts. Yeah, so including BB. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Love and his cousin Albert King, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That dude can play. Just the guitar. sheer mystery, man. And that's I think that's what Robert Johnson like. He was good. You know, he was he was a good songwriter, and he was a great guitar player for the time. Um, and he was possessed by the devil. Yeah, he was possessed by the devil. Um, there's just so much mystery because these folks, especially these big 1920s blues musicians, they would find out that they wanted to be a rambling music man, and they would just leave and pop up a year later in you know, 15 states away, and you never knew they left. That would mean John Lee Hooker right there. He, right. And, 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 and I remember reading and, and looking at some things about Johnny Shines because Johnny Shines is another one of my favorite blues musicians. He used to run around with Robert Johnson a lot. And Sun House. Sun House is, is the Big first. Bill Brunzi. Big go. Bill Brunzi. Big Bill Brunzi, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Sun House was an also an incredibly influential blues musician. Absolutely. Incredibly so. Um, but yeah, that's what adds to this allure because Robert Johnson, he, he got big and didn't even know it. He was rambling around the country and died before he even knew. You know, he came out with one record. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you're forgetting about Lightning Hopkins. Was Lightning also Hopkins. Guy that was harping and playing the guitar as well. Yeah. He was. He was. A lot of he was before his time as well, right? Lightning J or Lightning Hopkins, amazing, absolutely amazing blues musician. So it's just the to me the the wonder of the blues. Obviously, it's the emotional aspect, but it's also like I said, the sheer mystery behind it and the eeriness to it. Like if you listen to Robert Johnson sing, it'll it'll take you somewhere weird in your head if that's, you really listen. That's the goosebumps. You know what I'm saying? That's that's, that's what it. Music takes you to it takes that you to yodel state of mind. That that high pitched blues yodel, mm-hmm. almost. You know. Which was, uh, you know, that was very indicative of that time too. I think, wouldn't you? Would you agree with that? That yodel that they used to do? Uh, absolutely. I wouldn't say too much as a, of a yodel, but they let the guitar speak for them as long. Right. As, and they'd be they'd be getting down with it. Like I said, John Lee Hooker is, you know, the boom boom like mm-hmm. song. It's amazing. Yeah. 
So I definitely can get down with you with the with the with the yodel a little bit. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't know if I'd call it a yodel, but it, they had that like vibrato to their voice. Now we're talking. You That's know what I mean? What that about. sounds better than a yodel. Yodel sounds like somebody's out in Switzerland. But to me, to me, it kind of sounded like a yodel. And, and Howlin' Wolf used to used oh. to talk about that a lot because he could. He's like he he, he said in interviews like I couldn't do no yodeling, so I just yell. Yeah. And it done me just fine. But that's how he was talking exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're doing it just perfectly. Yeah, he'll too. scare you into liking his ass, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was a big guy. Yeah, he'll scare you what, into liking six, his seven, music. Six, eight. Yeah. He was like 300 pounds. He was a big guy. Monster. <laughs> Fucking monster human being. So what else was going around in that time? Because there was more blues than just the, the Delta blues. Well, that's when everything moved up. If we're talking about Howlin' Wolf and uh, Muddy Waters, that's when everybody moved from the Delta going up to the Chicago. Chicago. And then that's when it started making a name for itself, like with uh, uh, Willie Dixon. Yeah. Muddy, Muddy Guy was already starting to get in the mix after. Muddy Waters. Oh, Muddy Waters. Chicago. Well, he was. That's what's fucking up right there. That yeah. dude is the fucking man. Yeah, he is the man. So yep. much so that he's, I think he's probably the most covered blues musician of well, all time. Well, that's how you got Rolling Stones. That's how they got their name. That's how you got their name. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That from that man, well, I would have to say Willie Dixon was more prominent. Well, he wrote most he, of he Muddy Waters music. He was the guy <laughs> behind the scenes and nobody even knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he wrote a lot of their stuff. And, and even um, like we were talking about uh, like them people covering his stuff. A lot of people like Led Zeppelin covered a lot of his stuff. Yep, like the, yeah. let the juice run down the leg, you know. Yeah, yeah, a whole lot of love. Whole that lot was of love. a fucking muddy water song, Absolutely. you know, predominantly and almost completely. Uh, but another another subgenre that I never even because I, I you know you listen to a song and you're like yeah that's pretty bluesy, you know. But I guess there's a lot of different subgenres like anything else. Um, the the vaudeville blues section the female, female blues movement is that how you say it Vaude- vaudeville yes it is exactly how you say it um i'd have to say uh billy um what i'm forgetting her name right now all of a sudden but um i don't know of a billy but i know of a billy ma rainey billy holiday billy holiday yeah. yep. I mean, she was still blue or still jazz but still was going into the bluesy with the way that she was singing vibrato i guess that vibrato you know? Yeah, but it was just the way that she was doing it. Count Bessie, absolutely. Yeah, Gertrude Ma Rainey. Oh my God. Yeah, she had the voice. She Aunt Ma Rainey was. Yeah. she was no. big. No. She was a big woman too, man. She yeah. made her presence well known. Yeah, Marnie Smith. Marnie Smith. Absolutely. That's another good one. Absolutely. And, and I love seeing that aspect of thing because, especially for that time, for an African American woman in the twenties to be gaining a significant amount of recognition and getting records printed. That's huge. That's the fucking cool part about it is that yeah. these guys were taking these women with them because they knew they were yeah. just as talented as they were. If not more if so. not more so. Absolutely. I love it. That's yeah, amazing. It's pretty nice. It's, fa- it's pretty nice. Nice gig they had. Had old Harriet Tubman take him in the Underground Railroad <laughs> to the record label house. <laughs> the record label house. The juke the, joint. The, ju- the Sun House record label juke joint. The jukebox joint. Yeah, Chess Records. That's what's up. That's what started in Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah, Chess Records. Yeah, I just I don't know, man. It's just all so crazy. Like uh, with Sun House too, Mm -hmm. more specifically. Uh, Wasn't that Tennessee Sun Records? I think so. I think they made one in Tennessee. Um, But he was he was Mississippi when he was when he met Robert Johnson, because you know that story. I'm sure. Uh, Robert Johnson walks into a juke joint as a young man, and Sun House is in there playing. That's and, his idol. Yep, and that's his idol. And and Robert goes, "Hey, let me play a couple licks on that guitar." He plays it, and they laugh him yeah. out of the place. Absolutely. He might have been nervous though. Oh yeah, he he probably. Have, you know? It's his fucking idol. He was also like sixteen. Oh, you that's know, when he yeah. sold the soul to the devil. Yeah, he left. Right? And, yeah, he Supposedly, left. And went to the crossroads. Yeah. And uh, would you do that? Wouldn't die five years later? No. He didn't reap any benefit. He didn't make any money hardly. You can't look up on Facebook and go, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to die five fucking years later. Would you fucking do that? Yeah, you didn't answer that fucking chain mail. Now your ass is done, son. (laughs) I'll cross that road when I get there. (laughs) Your ass is fucking done. You live most of your (laughs) <laughs> You've lived those of your life already, Mark. Every time I think about the crossroads, you ever think uh, Supernatural with Dean? <laughs> yeah, dude, I love that fucking show, man. That's what's up. And that, that was a juke joint, wasn't it? It was. Kind of. It was like a they brought it, they, I but, love but, that but show. But it was a, it was they a Demon Hunter juke joint. Shit, though. That, that's yeah. what's cool about that show is they yeah. bring up all that music in that. Yeah, yeah. they do. It's they cool. Do. 
I just think about well, the, shout out to Supernatural. I like it. Supernatural. I just think about the seafood joint in my hometown, Dixie Crossroads. Yeah. I do two fingers to Robert Johnson. Well, also, I think about uh, <laughs> what was that movie with? Uh, <laughs> what was that movie about the blues? With uh, freaking Karate Kid. Karate what, the, Kid. the Stevie Ray Vaughan documentary? Crossroads. No. I think it was called Crossroads. Crossroads with uh, Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. Yeah, I don't know that? if I've seen that. Oh, you do. Well, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah. I thought you were talking it's about... A, it's, it's literally Ralph Macchio pretending to be Robert Johnson. What? <laughs> yeah. Ralph Macchio? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Younger. You know, like the graphic Karate Kid. Like, does he know who Robert Johnson is and he's just trying to emulate he's him? He's trying to yeah. become a blues man down uh. in the deep south. And he comes to the... Cro- it's ca- called Crossroads. <laughs> I'm just expecting him to like do some kung fu shit. Yeah. <laughs> He just yeah. comes out and does a fucking backflip. He the waxer on the crossroads, man. Yeah. Waxer on the waxer off. Devil, I waxer your car. <laughs> Danielson, I need your urine. Yeah. Your urine, no tournament. Yeah. Send the floor. <laughs> Danielson. So let's move on a little bit. We talked about the vaudeville, the, uh, the classic female blues explosion of the 20s. Uh, what about Boogie Woogie? Boogie Woogie. Boogie Woogie. Another thing happening in the 20s. That was this. I would yeah. say you're going, well, I mean, Jelly Roll Morton. I don't know. Oh, Jelly Roll. I see, I'd still have to say maybe you're looking into a little bit of the, the ragtimes a little bit. Still. Well, that's what it was influenced was well, ragtime, jazz. Big Joe Turner as well yep. is also included into that. Wilbur Sweatman. Oh, man. Good music. Great music. Not my particular forte oh, with the blues, but I don't fantastic, know. Fantastic, though. It was oh in its own right, absolutely. But I think it kind of started shifting because, like we said, uh, the Delta, the typical early Delta blues was very sad. It was very melancholy, 12-bar, seventh chords, very, you know, it was just a very melancholy tale because that's all that was happening back then. They couldn't sing about nothing upbeat. Yeah, they were... Trying to get all their depression well, out of them, right? By a lot of things talking about it, basically more, more music. Singing about it, it was more music. You didn't really get a lot of sing- it was more swing, right? Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, but then it started picking up, and I think they wanted to like because that's when they started gaining a little bit of recognition because it all happened kind of fast. Like within, I say fast, but I mean fast for like back then. I'm saying within a decade, right? It started moving like pretty good. Uh, and they wanted something a little bit more upbeat, especially when it started moving to Chicago and stuff. Because you're not a, a single guy sitting in a wooden stool with a with a six string guitar and a cut off glass bottle is not going to entertain an audience of 750 people. Even when it went to Chicago, you still had Willie Dixon playing that straight up bass, Muddy Waters playing a guitar, and then you know you, you had your drummer, a lot right? Of drummers. See, that's the unsung hero there too. A lot is the drummers. Not a lot of people talk about them at all. Yeah, and that and that yeah. that started picking up pace you know in in the jump blues in the 40s and stuff like that but they like like you were saying it needed something a little bit more absolutely you know sun house sitting there with his six string or his 12 string sitting there playing in front of 750 people yeah. you know there's only so much they need a backing band they started picking up momentum exactly and we're still forgetting about things like you know people like charlie Patton. Which, charlie Patton which was was he started before robert johnson as well and yeah, you're talking about one person with a guitar and like because yeah, the one person, town. the one person with a guitar, they could play the twelve bar. That's all they can do and sing. Right you, now, you have to have that rhythm guitar player playing the twelve bar, and then you have to have somebody next to you playing the solo over the twelve bar blue. You right, know what I'm saying so because blues, a lot of it, a lot of the the appease to, to your ear is listening to the solo work done by the guitar. Right, so you can't get that solo without having that. You know that the rhythm guitar going with with you know drums and the bass is you know I mean it's just, it's just right. it's all natural all, it all comes together that natural yeah and I guess we could call that progression of the of the single twelve bar blue progression of the single six string or twelve string player and singing we could call that more into like an urban blues kind of thing when it moved to Chicago right Absolutely. would you agree with that Absolutely yeah. They started needing to play to bigger audiences because, like, they've, you know, us Americans as a society, we moved past the gospel stuff. You know, you still had your Bible Belt gospel music, whatever. That's fine. And then you had also country musicians. But there was a line between that, and that's something interesting we talked about pre-show, is the line between country music and blues is as definitive as Caucasian or African American. Absolutely. African American with a six-string guitar, blues. Caucasian with a six-string guitar. Country music. It's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I think back then they called it country western. Country western, whatever. Bluegrass. Bluegrass. Whatever. Bluegrass, yeah, yeah. Or other Gormandizers. <laughs> country bluegrass blues or other Gormandizers. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and that's, and that's some interesting shit. 
you know, when it started moving into Chicago, because then they started getting the big backing bands. They started getting the double bass, the drum, that's, the that's stand when up. They started becoming rhythm and blues. That's right. R and B. And that's that's cool. Absolutely. To me, that's fucking cool. That's how it should go. That's music progressing, just like what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so. So fast forward to um, the La- 40s. Laser Lloyd. Oh, no. In the laser Lloyd. I don't want to there listen to anybody is. that's first name is Laser. There it is. We're going to talk about Laser a little later there in the show. Laser, Blazer, and Phaser. One of the coolest <laughs> modern blues musicians these days. That's his, that's his bass player and his drummer. Phaser and Blazer. <laughs> what are you looking at, old? I'm just looking, man. Would you relax over there? I'm super relaxed. Mickey Mouse you. headphone no, wearing I just got me another beer. I'm good. Yeah, we're all good. I kind of got to pee a little. Hey, do your thing. I might. <laughs> so uh, in the 30s, we're moving to a little bit of the uh, electric Texas blues. That's when the electric guitar started getting introduced a little bit. Uh, the I don't think they didn't have single uh, or solid body guitars then, so they're still playing the... Uh, heavily kind of distorted, crackly, you know, yeah, the, feedbacky the, hollow bodies. Yeah, the the Gibsons and things, the Sears models, the logs. Uh, yeah, and I think I think a good a good example with that would be like Little Son Jackson and Lightning Hopkins. He played a, a mean six string electric, mm-hmm. and maybe Blind Willie Johnson. Blind Willie Johnson, that's a good one right there. Yeah. See, I forget about all these guys. That's, that's a it's easy to do, man. There's so many of them, and they're all good. That's your list right there. I know, but they're I'll all start good. Into the songs. See, this is where we start transitioning into the really good songs, and where they start sticking, and everybody wants to start covering. Well, transi- let's go ahead and transition us into that stuff. Oh, we're we're working on it. We're, oh. we're working up. Oh. See, he always gets so excited. I'm getting. Excited. He gets so excited. <laughs> Are we gonna talk about to- Clapton soon? He's like he's like any <laughs> guitar player. We always when we learn a freaking song, we want to play it as fast as we possibly can, and we have to get reminded to slow the fuck down. <laughs> you know that you got to. We want to hurry up and get through it to get to the next thing. When does BB King get born? Uh, uh, I don't know. Sometime in the twenties or thirties. Even you got the Chuck Berry yet? Chuck Berry. Ooh, did you oh. you like that fight in your mouth? You heard. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny wasn't very good, you know, no. but, but, uh, so yeah. And then we'll move, right. we'll move from the electric right. Texas blues. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about, we're talking about how it moved into the urban style, into the bigger, uh, the bigger cities. It's starting to move to the West coast. It's up in Chicago. Now it's in New York. It's in San Francisco. It's getting a broader spectrum. Uh, and I think that kind of gave birth to the jump blues in the forties. That was the up-tempo music. That was more brass instruments. That was a higher progression. That was a little bit quicker and a little bit more upbeat songs. Well, it also came with a little bit more showmanship as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people were starting to play the guitar behind their back, starting to do all kinds of shit. Yeah. Like, it started becoming a little bit cooler. Yeah, Coleman you know, Hopkins, Lionel people, Hampton. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. were starting to do a little bit of that, that shit with it. A little bit of that chit. They're starting to get. Don't feel bad if you don't know who the fuck half these people are, because I don't. Benny Benny Goodman. (laughs) Benny Goodman's a new example. You need to look them up. They're good fucking folks, man. Yeah. You need to look them up. Let me look them up right after this. Yeah. And then we're going to. Okay. So we'll move from that. And we'll talk a little bit about the Chicago city and urban blues, uh, which kind of continued on up until now. Like, they're still doing that kind of shit out there. Uh, But this is when it exploded, and that's when we're talking about Muddy Waters, Big Bill Brunzi, shit like that. And Muddy Waters, like we talked about, I don't think there is a more covered or revered blues artist. There's not. I really don't think so. Starting to say we're missing missing a guy. I mean, Murky Oceans was pretty covered. See, like you're talking about J.D. Lenore. (laughs) I mean... Jimmy Reed is another guy. I'm, we're we're missing somebody here. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. We're gonna. There's, there's so, just there's so, so many much to talk about. There's so many. You know, Blind Lemon, Jefferson. That's older. That's old school. I know right? that's old school, but that's that's crazy influential. Talk, maybe I, maybe you're looking Charlie Patton, Lonnie Johnson, Tampa Lonnie. Red, Blind Blake, Sylvester Weaver. See. So, Scumbag Scotty. I like this guy. I like this guy. Scumbag Scotty. Scumbag Scotty. No, I think I I gave him five bucks last week. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's hanging out under the overpass. He asked me for another five today. Yeah. (laughs) He gave me the same story. (laughs) So get this. It's funny you should say that. I called out this guy uh, the other day. He, He rode by me with like a fake leg. And he's like, 
probably 60 years old, and he's telling me that he lost his leg in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Right. And I'm like, okay, so you were Not about 40 when you enlisted or what? <laughs> like, What if he was like a general? He wasn't a general. <laughs> he, definitely, he definitely wasn't a general, I can promise you that. Take his word for it. Uh, no, I did the first time, <laughs> but the second time I just wasn't, I wasn't fucking about it. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's talk about Muddy Waters a little bit since that's one of was, that was one of my favorites. That's one of your favorites. That's, that's really a staple down. in the, in the blues community. What do we love about Muddy Waters? Uh, the his name. Oh, yeah. oh, dude. I like you, man. Yeah. Given to him by his, uh, what was it, his grandma? Della. Della. Yeah, Della. Absolutely. He used to go out there and play in puddles and get ringworm and shit, and they called him Muddy Waters. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> his, his real name got, is McKinley Morganfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is our new show. Is this true? Yeah. Is that actually true? It's Facebook <laughs> proven right there, man. Yeah. See, all you guys can just sit there behind, uh, you know, the computer and just look up my information. Half right? It's probably wrong. Get it from Laser Lloyd right here. Yeah. Get it from <laughs> Laser Floyd. Hey, Laser Lloyd's a good guy. Uh, yeah. Is he? You yeah, know him? I do. Yeah. He called me there. You know that one. Is time. his real name Laser Lloyd? That's what I thought. Does he hang out with Riff Raff and the rest of those fucking fake named assholes? I'm not, I'm not responding anymore. <laughs> but his, his, his name is Lloyd Paul Blumen. Blues. Men. Blumen? Blumen. But he's or he he naturally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, McKinley Morganfield. He's also a Hasidic Jew. McKinley Morganfield. Yeah, McKinley Morganfield, a.k.a. Muddy Waters. Yep. Grew up in Mississippi. Clarksdale yep. uh, started playing the guitar and harmonica at age 17 and emulating local blues heroes, Sunhouse and Robert Johnson. Johnson. Sunhouse, once again, name shows up. Yep. And the name we were looking for earlier was Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax. Alan that's Lomax. That's um, and that's how the first person to record Muddy Waters in 1941 for the Library of Congress. Congress that's awesome. We could not fucking remember I could that. not remember. I knew it was Alex, but I couldn't remember his last name. That's it. Those motherfuckers would travel around, travel around the... Uh, blues community and record these guys with glass records it's fucking awesome wow it's so cool it is that's coming from the president of that time that's just ridiculous yeah because he recognized good shit he got sick of hearing that gospel crap too so where do you think those records are now in the library of congress absolutely oh yeah that's cool wouldn't that be neat to just see that? What if you just went there and you wanted to go play them? You can, uh, Are you going to be Nicolas Cage? I'm going to steal the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go in there and steal Sunhouse's first record. I didn't Don't say steal. Me. I, I said will, listen. I'll be a part of that. I said listen to it. They gave you some white gloves and a Victrola and put that bitch they on. They probably won't let you 10 feet near it. Okay, well then can somebody play it for me? <laughs> can I get some government official motherfucker to play, play that shit for us? I'm, I'm, even, I'm ready for the word go. Let's go yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm ready for the plan i'm gonna steal the declaration i'm gonna of call i'm gonna call them the first decla- i want the records <laughs> yeah i want the records i want sun house's first recording yes please yeah that would be yeah i'll take one please i'll take them all yeah <laughs> um so in 1943 he realized he wanted to be a blues man uh so he moved to, to chicago to become a blues man uh and didn't record his first record until 1946 um, well, after he recorded with the Library of Congress, his yeah. first record outside that little stint of them traveling to the blues musicians. Um, and that's pretty neat, too, because, like I said, in the 40s, for an African-American musician to get that sort of recognition was huge. Well, I think that's also what Chicago was there for. You know, yeah. I think Chicago was giving people like that opportunity, even though it was bullshit for them and they went yeah. through a bunch of shit. But it still gave people like them an opportunity with much more of a crowd, much more um, people to do what they wanted to do, and people were listening to it. Yeah. Then you had Howlin' Wolf come along. And I, I, oh, and my then God. Buddy, and then Buddy Guy came along mm-hmm. and played with them. And then much more people, even white people, but Paul Butterfield uh, band. Yep. And then even with that, trying to get a little ahead of myself, but um, much more blues musician came from that as well. And it was just as much of a struggle for them in the music industry. And that's something that I have the absolute utmost admiration for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Somebody that has that much passion, that has gone through that much strife and kept moving towards one particular goal. 
That's amazing. And Muddy Waters, right? Muddy Waters. That's Howlin' Wolf, all of them. It's eventually what gave to his demise as well was that power and thinking that he was God walking on water. Right. Same thing. He did? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, Kanye West is his son. You didn't know? What a <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's <laughs> not an idiot. <laughs> he got a little bit of a God complex, you know. He did. Um, but he, he didn't start getting a whole lot of recognition and record play and making any money until later on in his life when they would actually allow him to have a backing band. Yes. Because yeah. in the very beginning, these blues musicians that were moving anywhere, you know, Chicago predominantly from the Mississippi Delta and from the southern, you know, Louisiana jug band Delta stuff, uh, they weren't allowed to have backing bands. Just a three-piece band. Just a three-piece band, and they had to make it happen. And when he moved to Chicago, Muddy Waters, he kind of started getting his start when Big Bill Brunzi was letting him open for him, you know, and, and Muddy Waters hadn't played in front of audiences like this before. He was a juke joint player. You know, he played on street corners yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And same with Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson never got big. Never. He never got big. He always well, he played. He was on the verge and then he died. Yeah. Well, they were looking for him. Yeah. The to, year he to, died. To go to New York. Yeah. They were looking right. for him to go to New York and record. Yep. And they couldn't find him because he was dead. Yeah. He got killed by poison. That's what fucking happens to you when you sell your soul to the fucking devil. Yeah. That's what happens when you sell your soul to the fucking devil. Kids, don't sell your soul to the fucking devil. Don't do it. It's bad. Don't do drugs. Don't eat Starburst with razor blades in them. And don't, don't do meet it. the devil at the crossroads because then you're going to have the hellhounds on your heels. You don't want that. You don't want that. <laughs> I've had that. You don't want that. No, I haven't had that. So nothing came out of Florida. Uh, no. Except for big ass snakes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and eventually Leonard Skinner. And maybe Greg Allman. And maybe Molly Hatchet. And, yeah, and Molly Hatchet. <laughs> Nobody fucking cares about Molly Hatchet. Let's be real. And red jumpsuit apparatus, which literally nobody cares about. <laughs> Yellow card. Ever. Oh, I mean, don't forget Shine Down. Yeah, Shine Down. Great. Oh, yeah, Fred Durst. <laughs> you know, red jumpsuit apparatus is actually playing literally right around the corner here. I think they're actually playing for tips or something. Tonight? <laughs> no, tomorrow. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Better tomorrow. Enough. They couldn't pay me to go watch that. <laughs> like, if they're like, bro, we'll give you 40 bucks to come watch us play, I'd be like, I don't. I mean, nah. I hear one song. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Face down. Yep. <laughs> one song. That's it. That's it. That's all I got. Um, so, didn't Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters actually have a rivalry? Absolutely. In they Chicago together, for a while? Then they started getting their own stuff to, you know, together. Yeah. They started hating each other after a while. One got, one got big head. The other one got a big head. and they thought they were better than each other. Yeah. Alan Wolf had a distinctive voice. It was the beauty about him. He had the distinctive Wolf? voice. Wolf? Absolutely. Oh, my God, dude. It was kind of like a raspy uh, yell. It, it takes something to listen to. You yeah. People listen to it. You're like, what am I listening you to? You got what I need. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like Mr. T. Raspy. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it was an odd thing to listen to back in yeah. those days, but. It's just what it is. It, it was a hard listen, but he was a good musician. He's absolutely really huge guy. Can go down the neck of that guitar, just play it. Just it was great to watch. It was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, and I think I think what caused a lot of that rift between them is because we mentioned Willie Dixon uh, writing a lot for Muddy Waters. He actually wrote a lot for Howlin' Wolf too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what caused a lot of the rift between those it cats. Was too because Willie Dixon is the composer. Yeah. And Which is he, interesting because his music's his fantastic. Attention. You Absolutely. wouldn't you wouldn't picture him as like a behind the scenes songwriter. So thus, then you get the, that's that's where it started at basically. Then you have feuds going on, and music keeps going from there. I, I love mean, it. It was like the first rap battle. Yeah, basically. Sure. I love it. What are we going to talk way. about, Joe Bonamassa? Later. See, <laughs> always wanting to skip ahead. This motherfucker. Always. He's the fastest. We're just starting with the Chicago Blues, man. Yeah, like dude, we're not even through there yet. We're the only thing I know about the Chicago Blues is that when I play my backing tracks, some of them are called Chicago Blues. <laughs> well, and then I play over it. Like That's said, enough. Paul Butterfield band, man. That's where Steve Miller got to start with. Uh, yeah. From him. Yeah. Go on. White guy having fun with the black community doing black, doing black music, basically. Nice. I mean, this, that's how it goes. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. And it started showing some semblance of togetherness. Absolutely. And because I've always had this theory that there is only a couple things left in this world today that actually bring people together on an even plane. And music is one of them. Fucking key. Music is the fucking key to happiness. Right. Because other than physical touch, I don't think there's anything that can affect your emotions more radically 
than music. Absolutely. And that brings people together because we may be like of different gender, of different color or whatever, but we all have one love for music. Especially blues. Especially blues. And I feel like, I don't know, man, I feel like the blues needs to make more of a comeback. It is. It's starting to because a lot of like, because if you turn on a rock station nowadays, you'll hear this bullshit. There's not even a real band anymore. It's all software. It's all auto-tune. It's all the riffs. Samples. Are, it's all samples. Well, yeah. If you listen to pop music, I mean, there's still well, a rock and roll. It's not dead. It's still out there. No, it's still out there. But like I said, I think a lot of the good musicians today are reverting back to the blues. Well, I mean, a lot of the budding rock stars today, yeah, okay, are reverting back to the blues. Yeah. I think I, I, I could see that. Yeah, I think. I mean, you have to because you can't have the rock and roll without the blues. That's right, and and and, and it's funny, man, because times are going back. People like vinyls coming back, uh, band T-shirts are coming back. People are starting to talk about Zeppelin more again and the blues. Who's, and who's the band that sounds like Zeppelin? That's not now, man. Greta Van Fleet. Oh, Greta Van Suckage. <laughs> Greta Van Fleet. I love like I watch an interview with them and they're the interviewer asks he goes, "So was one of your main influence Led Zeppelin?" And they're like, "No, we nope. don't know what you're talking about." You're fucking we, liar. like you're a fucking liar, dude. <laughs> we don't want to be sued. Yeah, you're a fucking liar, you Robert Plant sounding motherfucker. Don't you lie to me. You sat there and listened to Led Zeppelin 1 through 4 and Physical Graffiti on repeat for six years, and then you were like, what? He even plays a fucking SG. Yeah. Sounds like all of us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so I guess since we talked about the rival between Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, we can talk about Howlin' Wolf a little bit. All right. Chester uh, Burnett. Chester Arthur Burnett. That's right. Oh. Wow, you knew that right off the top of your head. That's Absolutely. fucking awesome. Okay. And one of like he said or like you said his main attraction would was his booming voice absolutely because big dude yeah most of those guys back then the blues musicians were doing that that yodel that that vibrato blues sound that was coming out of the 20s and 30s wolfman right? jack wolfman jack no Alan wolf oh, Alan wolf yeah he was scaring motherfuckers into liking him <laughs> like he would grab you like f- for real. He was a big dude. Yeah. Scary. I wouldn't want to fuck with him. Scary, scary. Right. I'm like and five ten. He fucking kill me. Yeah. And he, he, he learned to play. Muddy waters into the muddy waters. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm saying that's probably why like muddy water. If I was muddy waters, I'd be like, Yeah, bro, I hate you. No, but run away. But I respect you though, bro. I promise. You got a no. great suit on, your music's not I hate you though, bro. No. I'd be real quiet and respectful about it. Because Howlin' Wolf would have fucking beat his ass. What'd you say, I need the definition yeah. of two faced. Yeah. I feel like Howlin' Wolf's blood pressure was like one seventy eight over 94 at all times. That's how I would be. Right yeah. That guy. Like resting, <laughs> sleeping. That's his blood pressure. That guy had straight mayonnaise going through his veins at all times. Well, he was a beast. Was Howling, at, Howling at the Moon was a great album. If I do believe so correctly, I can't remember right now. Yeah. But uh, great albums. That dude was amazing. Yeah. And Nobody he learned sounds, to play from Charlie Patton. Not one person to this day sounds like that guy. Nobody. Not one person. Nobody. And he, like I said, he learned how to play from Charlie Patton. We talked about him a little bit. Uh, and, you know, he started, he got his break in Chicago in, in the early 50s, late yep. 40s uh, talking. with Ike Turner um, of Sun Records. Now we're talking. Yeah, that's when he started breaking then his shell out. Chess, that's when Chess Records was starting to get real big out of Chicago, Yeah, where they were starting to sign everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was a great record label. If nobody's ever heard of it, look at that. I would devil into it a lot. I was looking at record labels for blues, and that is one of them. Chess Records is amazing. Yeah. Isn't it so funny how like these different genres throughout time, when something breaks out and it becomes that new wave sound that nobody's heard about again, it's like a stock market opening, like a weird new stock. Every, all these record companies just go out and start buying up every piece of it exactly what was happening yeah it happened with the you know the quote-unquote grunge era the british and music invasion the british british blues rock invasion it happened with the blues everything here we go we can start talking about that yeah now we can start talking about that yeah and and i so love in walks eric clapton yeah in walks a man <laughs> well we're finally we're we're getting i got one more cat that that actually this guy got me into blues um this was one of the well i have two to talk about uh that i i like one more than the other. So, Lead Belly. Lead Belly. Lead Belly. Nirvana right there. Yeah, that's a that's a Lead Belly favorite amongst them. But the one that really... When I first got introduced to blues, I always knew what the blues was. Um, 
But when I first got really introduced to it, it was one by a former supervisor of mine named Candace Carter. She introduced me to R.L. Burnside. R.L. Burnside is probably my favorite pre-50s blues musician of all time. Uh, he's fantastic. He learned uh, a lot of his stuff from Mississippi Fred McDowell, which taught a lot of those guys back then. Uh, and, and I don't know. To me, he just sounds different. He's almost, he almost mumbles. He's only got six teeth. He does. Well, he did. He died in 05. But, but he, 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 yeah, he, yeah, he had the same, he had the same start as all those guys in the Mississippi Delta. They were playing juke joints. You know, they were jamming around. He didn't get big until the 80s. Have you ever heard of a man called, damn it, he's just, Jimmy Reed? Uh Uh-uh. Jimmy Reed is from basically like the Indiana set up there in the region is what they call east chicago yeah same kind of way uh raspy voice really good yeah you might want to check him out when you get a chance absolutely he was so drunk most of the times his wife Love was, it. his wife was sitting there giving him the lyrics in the studio while he's singing the songs and you really can, you can even listen to it and he you can tell that the, the guy is just fucking wasted <laughs> singing these fucking songs i love it's, it it's fantastic i love it dude <laughs> But R.L. Burnside, absolutely, man. Fantastic. I got one of his records in there. I forget which one it is, but it was one that he did. It was a remix record um, of some of his early stuff that he did with his, I think it was his nephew, Cedric Burnside. And it's fantastic. It's it's amazing. I'd love to give it a listen. You should. I'll let you borrow it, man. I got some Jimmy Reed for you to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. You'll really like it. What about you, Audio Slave? What's your favorite blues musician? I know what the fuck no, you're going to say no, already. No. I know what you're going to say already. What do you think? Eric David Gilmore. No. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't gonna say that. This shit's all blues. I don't like any anybody in particular. I like them all the same. How's that? Is you that like better? them all the same. Yes. Every one of them is is great in my eyes. Fuck off. Say something, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Bonamassa. Joe Bonamassa. Oh, also, little plug about the blues. They invented slide guitar, so you're welcome. Ooh. If you guys don't know what slide guitar is, go watch Black Snake Moan and watch fucking Samuel L. Jackson murder it. There's actually a song out there called Black Snake Moan. Is there? Yeah. There's a movie called Black Snake. Absolutely, there is. You know, we should probably just go ahead and call this episode the early blues, and we'll have to do a modern blues. The sky is crying. No, we we still got some time, man. There's not enough time for what we got to talk about. There's so much time. Let's let's jump forward. Let's jump forward to the fifties blues let's explosion. Chuck Berry. Let's talk about Chuck Berry. Okay. Johnny B. Good. Who wants to start with that? Um, Everybody saw Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's seen Chuck Berry. Everybody's heard Johnny B. Good. Everybody knows who Haley Berry is. Yeah. <laughs> but has anybody seen Chuck Berry fart in a hooker's mouth? No doubt. No, no. <laughs> we're, we're actually going there, here. This is a. This is a kids show it's not a kids show so when you guys get a chance go ahead and go to google and look up chuck berry farts in hooker's mouth and it's the funniest thing that i've ever seen because it's such a revered musician of mine you are disgusting (laughs) no he's disgusting i'm dying laughing is what i'm doing yeah he's fucking he's a funny dude man he had a he had a little bit of a dark side to him a little dark side to the berry what do you got going on over there, Drew? I'm trying to find the reference in here. I actually pointed it out with Black State Moan for that Elmore James. It's interesting. Great book. If you have ever seen it, Martin Scorsese presents the blues. Get That's it. a weird one. Martin Scorsese? Oh, yeah. He does films for Rolling Stones. I mean, absolutely. Really? He's I thought a, he just did like big commercial movies and things. You know, he's no. actually got seven Scorsese? movies for oh, this yeah. called, you know, with the blues, separate uh, genres oh, well. for each uh, aspect of blues. It's great. Hell yeah. So Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Chuck the Berry. Godfather Johnny of rock and roll. The godfather of rock and roll. Uh, he just, I did a couple excerpts of him on the Facebook page. Um, he, he was pretty, a pretty influential dude. Uh, absolutely. I would say. He started it all in my opinion. Yeah. Did he continue with that 12 bar blues progression in his plan? He did. Actually. But he took it to the next level. Took didn't it he? to the next level. That electric Avenue shit. Well, once again, <laughs> once, once again, that the, <laughs> you think and hear the shit. <laughs> yeah. Your shit don't stink. Obviously. Yeah, he well his shit doesn't stink. He's farting in hookers' mouths, dude. Hooker's mouths. <laughs> oh, you like that fart? You like that you like that fart? Okay. Okay. He, was a pi- there, he was a pioneer. <laughs> He's a pioneer. In more than one way. Yeah, and so that that gave birth to the uh the British 
blues rock because obviously there's always been this back and forth between america and britain and the music community blues started in america the british musicians started hearing a little bit of electric guitar and the blues and they wanted to continue it and pay it forward a little bit here we go right so what springs out of there rolling stones actually in my opinion started it they were the ones that first Mm -hmm. listened to it they were in a uh in a uh, boarding school, basically, a Catholic yeah. boarding school, and they would sneak out, get records, and play them. And that's exactly what they did. They would go get these blues records, and yeah. they loved them. Over there, they loved the blues scene. It was exploding. Oh, bad. That's bad what they dude. were buying. Absolutely. And Brian Jones, he that was a lot of his influence with the Rolling Stones. That was even the from the name. They got their name from a Muddy Water song, Absolutely. Rolling Stone. Yep. Yeah, that's the snowball effect. The snowball effect. Yeah, the record. The A and R man called up uh, Brian Jones and Mick, and was saying, "Hey man, well, we want to have you over for a set. What do we call you?" And they happened to look down at a Muddy Waters album on the floor, and they said, "Oh, Rolling Stones." Fantastic. And that that was the birth of it. Here we go. These guys and Cream, Yardbirds, Yardbirds, (laughs) all of them. Yardbirds, Cream. Here we go. Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, Zeppelin, Page. Yeah, Page, Page, he was a huge studio that's musician. That's what happens. That's what happens when Body starts laughing. I hate to say it, dude. That's what happens when hate takes takes control over music in the country that we live in, and people across the pond notice what really good music is all about, and they take yep. full advantage of it. And they pick out the good shit, leave the bad shit, and then explode. Boom. And then there you it gotta goes. Gotta love it. Yeah, gotta love it. And Fleetwood Mac too. We talked oh, a little bit absolutely. about that. Fleet, early Fleetwood Mac. Early Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac. Peter Green. God, yep. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. It's yeah. like I have to say it. That's pre Stevie days, right? Absolutely. Stevie yeah. Ray Vaughan is hands down my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan, man, what a weird way to die. He has such big fingers, man. You play on those those twelves, you know, the twelve gauge strings. Yeah. It's hard it's to play on those things. It's like it's almost like playing a bass guitar. Yeah. Those strings are so thick. I think I play on so tens. Good. I think I play 10s I play on 11, my electric. 11s, 11s, 11s on the acoustic. I don't play shit. I'm just... This <laughs> <laughs> is the music. Uh, well, so you had those hugely influential bands. We've talked a lot about Eric Clapton in the past. Obviously, he, in my opinion, was probably the one of the best things to come out of there, obviously. Eric he's, Clapton? Yeah, he's huge. He I'd took say, it to another level. I'd oh. say Jimmy Page, in my opinion. Jimmy Page, now, too. As far as the blues go, Eric Clapton... Hands, so? hands down is the is the, right. be, is the better blues player. Well, I don't know. It don't all know depends, though, that. because they both took their music derived from the blues and took it in their own individual directions. Jimmy Page just cranked up the distortion a little bit heavier. No. He, yeah, that's, that's where heavy metal comes from. Right. Yep. Agreed. You know. <laughs> I mean, Deep Purple. Makes it, makes For fuck's sake, that's where the blues... Makes him the fucking better guitar player. The Blues Breaker album by Eric Clapton is where Fender got the name for their Blues Breaker amplifier. Yep. I mean, yeah, right there. Touché. And the new, the new Eric Clapton is one of my personal favorite modern day blues musicians. Modern day musicians, period. Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. Joe Bonamassa, like we talked about a little bit earlier, is probably one of the top five best musicians walking this earth right now. Oh, dude! When he was twelve years old, he opened up a whole year, nineteen ninety, I think, for BB King. Yeah. At twelve years old. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Twelve. <laughs> that dude can play. Yeah, he also has what's called the the Bonham Museum. He's got pretty like much one of the biggest eight hundred guitars and shit. Over a thousand guitars. There we go. I was close. Awesome, really awesome guitars. Yeah. And he's got what's called um, they're called burst guitars by by Gibson. They're the, mm-hmm. one of the most expensive type of guitars you can buy. He's got like ten of those. And he can play he's, it damn. Good he's got too. a collection yeah. of tweed. And Fender amps. That well, he's got an amp, your, amp uh, named after him now. Well, yeah, but Fender Blues. He's Jr. also got a collection of, of amps that he's been do, he's been collecting since since he was like ten years old. You know, so I mean, he's got a freaking. He he's, he said there, he he calls it the Bonnie Museum because he's got enough shit to open up an actual museum. See, this is why I like not playing music. I like listening to it because people like him. You guys can play it, and I love listening to it. Yeah, that's what I enjoy doing. It's great, I, man. I, I, I'm not one of those guys that likes to play it you know oh that you don't need to to love music you don't need to be a musician to love good music yeah. listening to people like you guys talking about guitars like that it's just awesome you know it is it's it's amazing man and obviously you can see with joe bonamassa he took what eric clapton and jeff beck did jeff and beck. turned the volume to 11 dude and he took all of these influences all the muddy waters the howling wolf the blind lemon all these guys 
and just turned it into something amazing. See, now you're talking about these guys. So there's other people I want to name out, like Lonnie Mack. Lonnie Mack. Like John, Je- you know, Jeff Beck, even Steve yeah. Ron, they were That was like their idol. Was, yeah. Was, dude, absolutely. Steve Winwood. Steve Winwood, yep. Absolutely. Yep, Steve Win- Warren Haynes. Warren, Warren Haynes. Haynes. Warren Haynes, dude. I love this shit. We can do this. Derek Trucks. Night. Derek Trucks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Blondie so Chaplin. I, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> dude, it's all good stuff. This is all amazing stuff. I love it. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. look, he's got it. Yeah. He's oh, got it, it right there. So Joe Bonamassa, like I said, uh, he's also a really good backing musician, too, because I hear him on a lot of other people's tracks. Well, yeah, he's like he's played with uh, Foreigner, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. I mean, <laughs> God, you can't live without Foreigner. Good uh, Lord. But he's also played with his he's played with his his uh, his his love. You know, his, his rock gods, his blues gods, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. He's played with, uh, you know, Eric Clapton, and he's played with uh, Buddy Guy. He's played with Warren Haynes, Derek yeah. Trucks. All yep. those guys played with him, Yep. which is awesome, man. Could, could you imagine that? I couldn't even fathom no. being able to play with my heroes. Like, no. I could. I could because I'm not playing. I just stand there. Yeah, just stand there <laughs> what and if watch you were a, What if you were a singer? What nope. if you were a blues singer? I'm not going to sing good. Have you, have you ever I'm tried? I'm just going to stand there. Have you ever tried to sing? <laughs> nope. One of these days you're gonna come over. You're gonna try to sing the blues in my house. Nope. Yes. Yeah, Some Howlin' Wolf. You have a. You have a. <laughs> that maybe I could do. <laughs> you, you might have. You might have a, Your voice might be like raspy and good. You I'm know? not gonna try right now. It's not. Happening. I didn't say you were. Okay. Cool. I'm saying at my my house we can play one day. At my this. house. So at son's house. Joe Bonamassa. I have to say this real quick. There's a yeah. there's a podcast that's on uh, YouTube. I think it's uh, Nikki Six. Uh, what's my mm-hmm. favorite riff? Have you seen that yet? Not that one, no. Well, after we're getting done with this, I hope you get a chance to watch it with Joe Bonamassa with Nikki Six, my favorite riff. It's awesome. He all gives, of he gives, my favorite he, riffs. He gives, he gives a clinic on it. It is. All of them. Johnny Five's on there, and they talk about Really? Oh, absolutely. What podcast is this? Nikki Six? Nikki Six is. Absolutely. My it's favorite. like a guitar lesson type, it's, type deal. It's, really? It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. Bonamassa, if you, if you go on his Facebook page. And Tom Rowe from Raging Against Machines you, on there. If you go on to uh, Bonamassa's King of the Wall. YouTube page. <laughs> yes. He's got tons of lessons. Well, see, I was just going to say that because I'm not friends with him on Facebook, but I'm friends with him on Instagram. And that's one of the reasons why I love being friends with him on Instagram. Following? Can you be, are you not friends with somebody on Instagram? You just follow somebody? I don't have an Instagram. Well, I'll never call myself a follower, Mark. I'm more of a leader. Well, if you follow Joe so, Bonamassa, you're following. You're I'm follower. friends with Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> you're not your follower. <laughs> <laughs> but because I love to hear his lessons and he'll sit there and like break down riffs of his and even his broken down versions. I'm like sitting here wiping my glasses. I'm like, God damn it. Why is this? He, why is he so good? <laughs> why are you so good he's a virtuoso man dude hours and hours and hours and hours of practice yeah i mean i, mean, I guess if that was my job his, i'm so fucking loot, i'd probably his be dad, pretty good right? his dad was a guitar player yeah showed him a little bit stuff and then like by age 10 he was like way better than his dad he's been playing for 20 years yeah, but like <laughs> age 12 going and opening for bb king that's like stevie with his brother he's just he's better at it you he's know a virtuoso <laughs> man it's crazy it's some like people prodigy. got it some child prodigy just like albert king with bb king in my opinion i think albert king's way better than bb yeah. king i mean look at doogie hauser i mean for god's sakes are we talking <laughs> anyway you guys got any other subjects you want to talk to about touch on with the blues Yes, I do. Okay. You're from this area, in my opinion, Jacksonville, J.J. Gray. J.J. Gray. Is what is up. They are amazing. I hope you all listen to them. Um, they, I think they have like four or five, maybe six albums. So they're local here in Jacksonville. Absolutely then. local here in Jacksonville. But they sell out every time they play. Really? Fantastic oh, yeah. band. Where do they play at usually? They usually play with Mofro a lot. Well, it is J.J. Gray and Mofro, but they play at the Amphitheater in St. Augustine. They play yeah. at the... Uh, the theater downtown. Uh, so they're playing bigger theater. venues. They're not playing like, you know, the, the rabbit or no, no, whatever they're, they're, shit like they're, that. They're, they used to. Yeah. But they're, I mean, what they're, was that fucking place called that was uh, right there on the corner next to the buckets uh, down at the beach? Freebirds. Freebirds, right? Yeah. They used to play there. I don't know if they play there any fucking more. No, Freebirds right. is they're, gone. They're, they're too big uh, to play there now. Well, I mean, what is it? The Surfer the fucking bar? The Surfer the bar, yeah. <laughs> well, supposedly they're still they're trying to get yeah, shows sure back, play back in there. Major concert hall. Well, they had Bad Fish there not too long ago. They're not bad. They're a nice sublime yeah, cover band. I like yeah. them. I've seen them a few times. I saw them at Freebird years but ago. I like that, man. J.J. Gray and Mofro, if anybody's ever J.J. Gray and Mofro. Are they on Apple Music? Absolutely. Groovy. I'm going to check them out. Do it. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, I don't know when the next, I think we're going to, I think we're going to record one either next week or the week after. Um, 
As always, if you guys have any show ideas, please email me at willywhitebread69 at gmail.com. Can we do another blue show? Yeah, we can do another blue show. We barely tapped into modern I blues. Think, oh, barely. Yeah, barely tapped into love it. To do it. Absolutely. We can that'll be the next topic then. Let's do We've it. We've got our next topic, guys. Please. Please. Uh, so give us a watch on Facebook at the Rock Isn't Dead, It's Just Sleeping Podcast Facebook page. Share our stuff. We're gonna be doing more t shirt giveaways. We're gonna be doing more rock history posts. We're gonna be doing all the things that you love and you're gonna love. So just fucking pay attention, man. Fuck yeah. Anyway, till next week, we love you. We will see you again very soon. Bye.